Well, good morning and happy Saturday, everybody. It is Amanda and Barron with Kicking Cancer Cares. And in studio today, we have Brenda and Terry Soul. How exciting. Good morning, you guys. How are you? It's exciting so to be here. So really quick, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Um, we have Oddmo's Pizza, which is absolutely amazing. I still need to try that cauliflower crust and pizza that you told me about. Across the street, I'll let me get there right now. Oh, yum. We'll have some for lunch after the show. Yes, and then our second uh, sponsor is Breezy HVAC. So if for all of your heating and cooling needs, we're kind of going into that cold season. So good time to get your system checked out and make sure everything's running good and up to speed. And that's Breezy HVAC. All right, let's get started. Where are on the our- donuts? What you people have donuts in here for your guests? Oh my God! Somebody turn off his mic already. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't so be a show with Terry if there wasn't donuts. In the That's exactly right. I'm so out of here. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you, Amanda. All right. What was your impression of Bill yesterday, uh, last week after meeting him? Because that's our recap is Bill, but. Bill's story isn't Michael's story. Bill's story is what it was like being the parent of a kid with cancer. Yeah, and I think it was, I really enjoyed him being here, listening to his story and just how real life it is. Um, It's much different. A lot of people focus on the patient, and especially when it's a child, the parents really go through it, and that really showed when he was here talking. And I can only imagine, I know my son went through some medical issues, and that's heart-wrenching, and so to see what it did to his life as well, and the heart you know, what it did to his heart to watch his son go through that. It, I thought it was interesting that... I we, cried a few times. <laughs> you, you did. You We did Kleenexes for you. Um, we, well, we had Victoria Shin in here, mm-hmm. and she got a little emotional telling her own story. Yep. But there was a moment last week when Bill was talking about Michael that he got a little choked up. He did, and that's when I lost it. I lost <laughs> it at that moment. It was like, oh, gosh, because it's, yeah, it's it's relatable. It's real. It's And it's it, I feel like it makes it harder because the parents are looked past. Yeah. And so they're forgotten about in their feelings, and so they kind of have to bottle that up and just keep moving forward to make sure that the show goes on with their whole life and their, their other family and the children and everything. It's well, and one of the components that, you know, we started it before COVID. We had to put it on the brakes because of COVID, but we have a program inside Kicking Cancer called Pathways, mm-hmm. and it, it's really designed designed for Michael's siblings, right? right? So so Bill and his wife are focused on Michael because he's got cancer, but he has a brother and a sister who could easily have gotten lost and we want to be there for those guys. Oh yeah. I didn't I didn't listen to it last week, but how's how's he doing? Michael? Yeah. He's doing really well. Is he's he? doing well. Yeah. I mean we did the polar plunge for him earlier this year and every year I have decided and, and the board's on board with me, um, every year we're gonna do the polar plunge because of Bill and what he's done to help get 2,500 shirts out there. Wow. Yeah. How old is Michael? Michael's 34 now. Okay. You know, but the amazing thing is he was diagnosed at four, mm-hmm. and they told Bill, enjoy him till he's 10. Because mm-hmm. that would be the life expectancy of a kid with brain cancer. How do you tell a parent that? Uh, right? Enjoy your kid until he's 10. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he had his 10th birthday, and they said, well, once, the, once puberty kicks in... And then he turned 19. Mm. Good for him. My goodness. And he awesome. just he had his 34th birthday right before we did the polar plunge. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Yeah. So exciting. But, you know, there's a really interesting story that I want Brandon to bring into this because the second year we did the Warrior Dash, I said, let's do this for somebody else this year. We did it for Brandon the first year. So we all got muddy for Michael, and I wanted to get a shirt to him, but I didn't know who he was or how to find him. And Bill said, well, he works at the Walmart there on Turner Road. So remember when we went out to find him, Brenda? Yeah. Yeah, we went over to, over to Walmart with the shirt. Trying to find a, a guy named Michael, didn't know him from anybody else. <laughs> Walked right up and saw, saw a little fella pushing some carts around. That looks like someone will ask. You know Michael? 
and, and that was my was with that the name tag on. <laughs> wow. Just a delightful guy, you know. God just put us right there where we could meet him right when we needed to, and oh. he was ready for that shirt and and be able to meet him. Right, we didn't have to go anywhere else. He was right there waiting for us. And you probably lit up his whole day with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, what really lit up his day was when we had forty five people that year, and the very last obstacle, the water dash. It's probably, what do you think, Brenda, like 50, 50 yards? And they just dig this trench. They yes. fill with water. It is really soupy, muddy. Yeah. But we're coming out, these little chocolate people. And there's Michael <laughs> in a covered. clean shirt. You're just covered. His face is just glowing because all the people he didn't know were getting muddy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For Michael. For him. For him. They have a great picture of everybody. We're just all covered in mud. And there's Michael in the center, all shiny and ready to go. And everybody's doing this for him. All these little chocolate, muddy people around him. That's incredible. That's cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. So, you know, as, as that, that first year progressed and Brian and I said, you know, let's find a way to do this and support other people, it's just been fun to watch people's response when you're doing something for them for no reason other than to do it for them, right? There was no, we're not asking for money, we're not asking for donations, we're just like, hey, we're going to get money for you. And I think that's where it's so heart-touching is because it comes purely from your guys' hearts. It's, it's, uh, it's... Mm. And so that's I feel like that's extra special. If somebody did something like that for me, it would be like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm important. Yes. I mean something. People care about me and my journey. And that, that means something. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I why, can only why, imagine. Why muddy? Well, I mean, there's so many different things you could have done, but why, why the mud? Well, we had already done the war dash the first year. And we had never done anything like that. So when I said, let's do it again. And so we came back the next year. But knowing that it was as muddy as it was... It was just a nice play on words, you know, muddy for Michael. Um, I mean, we could have done anything else, but that's just what the water dash was, was all this mud. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, you know, anyone who hasn't listened to that, they can go find us on any of the podcast services. They can go to kslm.news, but go listen to that that, our, that one interview with, with Bill last week. Yes. What was it? T- the title of it? Muddy for Michael, I believe. Okay. <laughs> I forget right I, on the spot. I don't forget. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the other thing, exciting thing is that because, you know, when you and I talk about doing this, if someone doesn't live here in the area and they're not listening at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, they're going to miss our show. So we went to a podcast services. Did you know that we're over 400 downloads, Amanda? Jeez. Yeah. And we actually have about 2% of our listeners are in Russia, of all places. Mm, that's mm. cool. So you have 400 downloads? Excellent. Yeah. Really? 400 that's downloads great. from the various podcast services. I got one. Mm, that's neat. That was me. Oh, by the way, that was me. How would you know? <laughs> I still got one. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was our story last week. But you always like me to bring you some shocking information, right? Yes. I want to bring you a term, and, and this isn't a real diagnosis, but it will resonate with people. And then I think just getting Brenda and Terry's feedback on this. I met a lady who um, we're actually working with her to try to bring her into the Kicking Cancer Organization. Okay. She's a patient provider advocate from Spokane, Washington. Her name is Francie Norton. And there is money out there. And believe it or not, the pharmaceutical companies have grants. There's tons of money out there to help pay for your treatment Mm -hmm. because of the financial toxicity of cancer. Right. And so the phrase she uses is that when you're at the point that you now have stage five cancer because it has now metastasized to your pocketbook. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were telling me, or you might actually touch on it about the uh, bankruptcy rates. Yeah. In the percentage, is that on there? Yeah. So 
all this data that I'm going to talk about is from a website called canceradvocacy.org. Okay. Uh, and the one that you mentioned, um, cancer patients are 71% more likely to have collections, bill collections. That's so such a high number. 71% more likely to be over double, collections. Almost yeah. triple. Yeah. And in the state of Washington alone, you are two and a half times more likely to file bankruptcy. Wow. So if you if you are in that area where you're in collections, can you tell the collections, sorry, I got cancer, man. I don't have the money for this. Nope. It doesn't work? No, that's then, why they Then it moves to bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. But here's what I thought was really intriguing from their website. They had this this chart with a bunch of, you know, graph with these numbers on it. But um, one of them was the percentage of people who did not feel like they got the financial support they needed. So the national sampling, everybody, was 42%. Did not feel like they got the okay. support they needed. Within the Hispanic Latino community specifically was 64%. Wow. But the huge one is if you were diagnosed between the ages of 18 and 39, so younger people, mm-hmm. 81% of them did not feel like they got the financial support they needed. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder why that is, the different age groups and whatnot. Um, I don't think that... Well, I know for a fact that Francie told me every hospital has an advocate. But guess what insurance companies do not want to do? They don't want to pay. Right. So why would they tell you that it's available? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and after talking with Francie, I have I've come to the belief that for years I've thought the pharmaceuticals were like the big bad guys. Mm-hmm. I think the head of the stake is the insurance companies. Really? <laughs> hmm. I think they're trying to find every way possible not to pay that bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what um, you learn when you dig up and investigate a little bit more. It's kind of eye-opening just how involved all of these different moving parts are, like the pharmaceutical companies, the yeah. insurance companies, Well, she, she, the t- she told me the pharmaceuticals actually have grants. So they create this drug that's expensive, but they have a grant to help pay for it. Okay. But then when you're at the hospital and they don't tell you it's available because they don't want to have to pay for it. It's not the pharmaceuticals, it's the insurance that don't do it. I recently was was in the hospital for nine days, as, as man knows, and I can't tell you how many times they came in there and wanted to know who my insurance people were. Mm. I mean, that's that's that was their biggest question. Well, who's, who are you insured with? Mm. Told them who it was, but next day somebody else would come in and ask me the number. Mm-hmm. And they want to see the card and the policy number and everything. And mm-hmm. So they're just constantly checking to make sure that you're covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was one of their main focuses? Mm-hmm. That was their main focus, yeah. Really? Yeah. Did they, And that... That would bother me. Bothered me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be frustrating. Yeah, it like, was. Oh, how about just how am I feeling today instead of who's my insurance agent <laughs> or who I'm insured with? Well, you know, I think an interesting part of this discussion, you've got a couple different time frames, okay? So, Brenda, you're five years yes. out, and mm-hmm. Terry, you're 25 years out. Congratulations mm-hmm. to both of you. Yeah, That's exciting. huge. That's awesome. Good to but on a, on a more recent basis, five years out, Brenda, um, what was the financial impact to you and your family? Yeah, and it still continues. You know, uh, five years ago, things were racking up, and you think you kind of walk into it with your insurance. You think you walk into it with your savings, and you don't really know. You jump on that uh, that cancer train, and you don't really know where it's going to take you or how much challenge there's going to be physically or emotionally and certainly not financially. But it's, it can really take just about everything that you have depending on what your situation is with your cancer and with your finances. But one of the things that we did was high-dose vitamin C IV therapy, and I did 24 doses of that. It was uh, intravenous, and my husband became certified so we could do it at home. 
but all of the expenses were out of pocket. None of that was covered by insurance. And I would say that probably is what saved my life, was that high-dose vitamin C. So I certainly am grateful to have gotten it, but none of that was paid by insurance. And so we had to pay upfront for most of the for the most of the vitamin C, but also for all of the paraphernalia that goes with it and then pay along the way till we could get it all covered. There are places you can go to have high-dose vitamin C IV at the clinics there, but uh, that isn't covered usually by insurance, and, and that was even more expensive. So we did home, but it was still a very big chunk of money to be able to accomplish that, and still we're very glad I did it because, again, I would say that probably saved my life. Another thing that's a really big toll on all cancer patients, no matter what your situation is, the travel time, not only the expense of it, but the time of it, because you're taking time off of work mm-hmm. every day that you have to go there. And we lived about an hour away from the clinics that I would normally go to. So then you're driving an hour each way, plus the time there and the time to wait and the time for your situation. And luckily, my husband went with me almost every time, which, Baron, you were talking about having an advocate and he could be an advocate for me. You go in there, you're really discombobulated. You're the patient and you're really surprised about what's happening and everything is new news. You need somebody with you that has a little bit more of a level head and can can think about what's happening and take notes or mental concerns and think about questions. So he could be there to be my advocate and thankfully he could be to nearly all of my appointments with me but at the same time that means he's taking time off of work to do that and and then I'm taking time off to do it and then the recovery time at home so all of that not only do you have the travel expense so you've got the fuel and you might have to be staying overnight depending on where you live and then you've got the emotional worry but you've also got the time off of work those were huge expenses that hit our family and then his business really suffered because he wasn't able to be involved in it nearly much as he was not including of course just the emotional concerns that you have at the time period a lot of things that I did to help myself through the cancer is I did take my health into my own hands Like I just realized I need to be the expert in what's going on with my body. And so I learned about that and I took many supplements. I tried a lot of alternative actions that I don't know that every single one of them worked, but I felt like none of them were going to hurt me. And anything I could afford that I could do that I had learned that wasn't going to hurt me, I was going to give a try for that. And so we invested some money in a variety of items just to try them and see if they were going to be something that worked. Many supplements, many activities that we were involved in with that all of that takes a toll so financially you know it does take just about everything that we had not including any insurance that kicked in after that and I was just grateful that we were able to do as much as we did but there were many things that we couldn't afford to do and many places we couldn't afford to go there's some interesting clinics to go to that can help you out but we couldn't afford any of those and the insurance wasn't going to cover that part of it and that's what's also hard on a on a patient is you feel like here's a great opportunity for me but I cannot afford it and so where is some place that I can get some help so I can go afford that activity? Even getting there can be enormous if you have to fly or drive out of state and maybe stay for a little while. Those are some enormous things that sometimes we don't think about with that stage five that you're talking about right there. We don't actually think about the financial cost that's going to hit right there. 
Absolutely. And not to even mention all of you continuing to eat a healthier lifestyle as well. I mean, that's a financial burden on top of it because eating that way is not cheap. Right, right. And you just try to do everything you can to keep yourself healthy from then on out. And just praise the Lord, I've made it five years and I'm feeling great and I'm going to continue on that path. But in order to do so, I really do feel like I still have to keep my health in my own hands to do that. Right. So your financial, it it still continues. Continues always. Yeah, absolutely. So Brenda's five years out, Tara. You're 25 years out what was the financial impact for you 62,000 wow that 25 was, years ago wow yeah you had that was your out of pocket mm-hmm. that's what the family was out of pocket wow I didn't wow. have 62,000 to pay to write a check so the family kicked in there but it was 62,000 mm-hmm. by the time they were done mm-hmm. wow no way mm-hmm. for how long how- well I, I was in the hospital for seven days mm-hmm. they, they took a kidney out but they also they broke my floater rib in order to get the kidney out because the cancer was inside the kidney. Mm. So they wanted to, to do that. So they broke the floater rib, and they kept me in for that as well. Mm. It hurt. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I know this this gal, and, and um, you'll hear me talk more and more about her because um, I've introduced her to our board of directors, and we're working vigorously to merge her operation with ours. Um, but she worked for the Summit Cancer Center in Spokane, and her job – was to basically advocate for patients. And so this one patient comes in, this lady comes in, and they knew that her treatment was going to cost X amount of dollars, whatever that amount was. The lady looked right at Francie and said, a casket costs less than that. Wow. It's a horrible thing to say. It is a horrible thing to say. But she didn't want to put her family in, a, you know, $60,000, for example. Yeah. She didn't want to put her family in a place to have to pay that. So she knew paying for a casket would cost less. Right. So she opted not for treatment. Wow. And, and Francie said, Francie's made it her life mission to help you find the money to pay for your treatment. Mm-hmm. You know what is, what is the weirdest thing? And Brenda, I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, the hardest thing was to, to hear the C word when the doctor said, you've got cancer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I don't. No, I don't. I'm 32 years old. No, I don't. And how was that for you when, when you found out? I mean, you found out in a strange way, but how was that when you heard the C word? You've mm-hmm. got the C word. Yeah, and you just don't expect to have it happen. I was pretty young at the time also, and that was not what I was there for. We were there to test out some equipment and see how it worked. And it turns out that I, I was the one that checked out the equipment. You know, I, I was the person behind it to see how it, how it uh, performed with the um, thermography machine. And that's how I found out that I had cancer. But that was not our purpose in being there. So it was a big surprise, not only just to find out, that you have cancer, but but you're there to just check out some totally different thing. It's just like a fog. It says, no, 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 that's not why I'm here. I'm sorry. We, we need to just step on back and redo this. You're probably like, well, maybe the machine doesn't work <laughs> after all. <laughs> and, and terrifying. Well, and work. again, um, the listeners can go back on any of our podcasts and find Brenda's story. But just wrote quickly, Brenda, recap for the listeners today. How did you find out you had cancer? Yeah, real quick. We did. My husband was helping to fund a fellow in California that is a breast cancer surgeon and he had some equipment, a thermography machine and he was going to be using that to uh, test uh, for for breast cancer. A wonderful machine. We went over there, stayed overnight and checked out his equipment. He had several other items that would help with breast cancer and with surgeries and so I I got to use the thermography machine and I sat behind the screen and he stepped out of the room use a thermography machine it gets very cold on your on your upper body and then wherever the warmth shows up where the cancer is it shows a different signal on the a readout so when he came back with the readout we just figured okay good we're going to really learn how this thing works out and he was just ashen in his face and this is a man who's already done many many cancer surgeries he was a breast cancer surgeon he came in with his face just ashen and said wow 
you have breast cancer. Except you were in front of an audience, right? And, and, yeah, checking out this machine. So there were people watching you check out this machine. Well, we were we were in a private office. So it wasn't a huge amount of people that were there, but it was still enough to be surprised that this was happening. Right. Yeah. So they knew it wasn't a staged result. We're not. Yeah, we're not staged. We're here just doing this. And that was a big surprise. Then he used the ultrasound machine to more fully prove so. And he said, you need to go home and, and get a mammogram. You need to go home and check this out. And that just wasn't where I was in life. I wasn't ready to do that. Well, and, and we're going to get more to this in the second half of the show, but... Terry, where were you at when you found out? I was actually on the radio. Story of my life. I'm always on the radio. Um, no, I, I, uh, I'd been passing kidney stones. And I went to, uh, to my doctor in Silverton. And he says, we're going to send you to somebody in Salem. And uh, I was literally on the air doing my radio show, KBZY, across town. I can even tell you I was playing Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> oh. And he calls up and he says, I got good news and bad news. And I said, okay, what's the good news? He goes, the good news is you're about to pass another kidney stone. And he says, That's the good news? Yeah, that's the good news. That's what I said. And this was Monday of Thanksgiving week. Okay. And I says, What's the bad news? He goes, uh, You look like you got some cancer in your kidney. We need to take your kidney out. Hang on a second. Here's Olivia Newton John on KBZY. Now, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, No, your cancer's coming out. And again, this was Monday of Thanksgiving week. And so I said, Okay, well, let's, let's wait until after the holidays and then we'll, we'll talk about it again. He goes, No. What time do you get off today? Mm-hmm. Wow. And by five o'clock that night, I was in surgery. They were mm-hmm. yanking my kidney out. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what time it was when you found out? Oh, I was in the ozone layer for quite a while. Oh, you mean when I found out that I had the kid? Like, like when he called when he called you, do you remember what time it was? Well, of course I do. Don't you remember these kind of things? Eleven fifty four. So and you five five too. hours later you were in surgery. Yeah. That fast. He says, What time do you get off the air today? I said two o'clock. He says, Be in my office by three. And by five o'clock they were wheeling me in. Mm-hmm. So you get a phone call and five hours later you're in surgery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You get the phone call and it's like I've told Amanda before the show must always go on. You're on the radio, you just get that news, and you got to keep going. You got to keep going like it's nothing's going on. Yeah. Was a lot going on, though, in your head? Were you? Yes, because my mom died of cancer, my father died of cancer, my brother died of cancer. Okay. Okay. So my, my father was 35 years old, 32 years old, and I was seven. Um, and when that happened, I was 32 years old, and my son Ryan was seven. And it oh, just, wow. it scared me. So were you having a little deja vu yeah. moment at that time? Um, yeah, yeah. What, what, just out of curiosity, was the fear that you were going to relive what you had done? I, I, you know what? I, I thought I was going to die. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to die, and because I was a single parent, my seven-year-old son's going to be by himself, which wouldn't have been the case with the family would have jumped in there. But the point is is I thought I was going to die Yeah. because my dad died. At 32 years old. Yeah. And you he had cancer. Too. And I, I thought, you know what? This is the way it's going to work. Well, that says a lot about your radio skills to let the show go on with that. The show must go head. on. That you is know. crazy. I didn't know that you thought you were going to die mm-hmm. and that, that it was a similar situation. Um, you know what was really the weird part is, is I'm, I'm in the hospital, and that was when they had the morphine pumps, and you can pump yourself. And I'm telling my mom she's in there, and I said, Mom, I'm hurting. She goes, let me get the nurse. So she's – and the nurse isn't coming. And oh, finally no. the nurse walks by, and my mom goes, hey, come here. My son's in pain. You guys aren't even answering this thing. She goes, ma'am, that's not the – that's the morphine. And I'm looking, I go, I feel great. <laughs> I'm not in any pain. I feel great. What's for lunch? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's <crazy>. awesome. <laughs> that's terrifying. It's so sixty-two thousand dollars, huh? Yeah. I wonder. And what year was that? Uh, Ninety-seven, November of ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. I want to look up really quick what the uh, what how much that is to, mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm still paying a lot of it. Yeah. Are, are is it not paid off yet? No. Mm. No. Mm. Okay. 
Well, we've got about a minute and a half left. Well, I'll, I'll throw a teaser out. We can talk about this after the after the break. So the book that I bring in quite often, and, and actually Brenda turned me on to this book, it's called Chris Beat Cancer. Um, Chris Wark was, how old was he, Brenda, when he got diagnosed? Do you remember? Yeah, he was 23. So Chris Wark was 23, gets diagnosed with cancer, went down a different path and uh, beat it, and so he wrote this book. Colon cancer. Right. Very young. So the chapter that, that I'm looking at now, it's called, It's Not Like I Need Your Business, is the name of the chapter. It's Not Like I Need Your Business. Mm-hmm. And the quote, I think, is so interesting. Uh, Upton Sinclair was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist about 100 years ago. He kind of exposed the problems in the meatpacking industry back then. He said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding. You got to read it one more time. It's hard to get a man to understand something Mm -hmm. when his salary depends on not understanding it. So, you know, prime example, I'm a pharmaceutical rep. I'm making a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. I could tell you everything, but you don't really want to understand what I'm telling you. Right. Because now your pocketbook is affected because now you understand what I'm telling you. Right. So it's hard to get someone to understand what we're talking about when their pocketbook's been understanding. Fair enough. All right. Well, we're going to head back to break really quick, and then we'll be back after this. So shout out to our sponsors, Breezy HVAC, for all of your heating and cooling needs, and Odmo's Pizza, because pizza's just pizza. It's really, really good. 